Station 13 may cover topics that are not suitable for all listeners, such as death, body gore, and homicide, not to mention the paranormal. We also like to swear on occasion. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to Station 13. Grab a glass of wine and put your kids to bed. This is DJ Void, signing back on. On top of today's episode, I have some rather somber news for you all. Now, don't go holding your breath. It isn't the end of the world. Yet. Today I bring you episode 12 of Station 13, a show I've poured my heart and creative energy into to revive my favorite pastime, creepy stories, and old radio. Episode 12 is a huge achievement for me, and it signifies the halfway point between the beginning and end of season 1. With that said, I believe it is time for me and the staff to have a mid-season hiatus, to recoup from this year and move on to the next. And that means episode 12 will be the last episode of 2023. Fret not, for we shall return January 8th with more stories and oddities of this universe to share with you. However, I invite you to join us on Christmas Day for a preview of the Patreon-exclusive Station 13 Campfire Stories, a new exclusive show chocked full of spooky stories from the Station 13 universe, never shared on the main show. These exclusive episodes will be available to patrons once monthly starting at the $5 tier, and will be longer than the average episode, without all the pomp and circumstance. It's just Void, sitting around a fire, reading the stories she was told in her youth. On top of that, 2024 will also bring Station 13 merch to the table, as I will be working my way into the merch world slowly through the end of this year. If you'd like to keep up with the podcast and get first insight into what's going on, please peruse our link tree in the show notes, and join our Discord. Alright, sorry to be a bother, and on with the show! Hello everyone, and welcome back to Station 13. My name is Void, and I'm your host through this interesting daydream. And for those of you joining us again, thank you so much for entertaining my weird ramblings. For the beginning of the show today, I'd like to step out of a character a bit and ask you all a favor. If you could find it in your heart, could you possibly rate us on any podcasting platform you use? You see, I and the rest of the staff of Station 13 produce and present this show for everyone for free. And it would mean the world to us if we could thank some of our listeners by name through our reviews. If you don't feel like it, don't worry, we won't take it personally. Alright, back to the show. Today I have a pretty exciting update on my new son, Mr. Stubbs. He seems to be doing much better and recovering quicker than expected from his surgery. He may be one leg down, but he can still hop and climb with the best of them. I recently took him in to get shots and checked for any issues that would prevent him from meeting my other fur creatures, and luckily the vet gave him the all-clear. Now, mind you, I wouldn't recommend you do this with most wild animals, unless you have the proper training and licensing. Luckily, due to my connections at the WDPCA, I do actually have a decent set of knowledge regarding the garbage gerblins, and the proper licensing to keep Mr. Stubbs and give him his forever home. With that said, he has since met the other residents of my household, and it seems the felines are thoroughly smitten with their new large, fluffy friend. The big man's even dwarfs my main coon mix. <laughs> anyway, with election season looming over the United States, 
I figured I'd dig through my archives and read something from the last election shit show we suffered through. Let's get to it, shall we? Now, this is an article that is roughly 20 years old, written when I was just a little thing. It'll be quite confusing at first, but just hang with me. It gets worse. This year's electoral shitshow has begun, ladies and gentlemen, though I hope none of you are surprised as our reigning sovereign passed with no heir, and therefore we must start again. However, this- His passing is shadowed with some doubt. Was he assassinated? Did his wife finally get sick of his cheating ways? Did his penchant for odd plants finally catch up to him? Well, we shall never know, as it's all classified. Regardless, it is time to choose a new ruler for our government, and it seems we have to two semi-promising candidates. We have Trolley and Schrodinger. Of course, that's simply what we call them. As per usual, we are not allowed to say their names. Of course, once you view their politics, you'll understand the nicknames. Trolley currently seems to be in the lead via public opinion, solely based on his contribution to the management of national parks. However, I beg you all to keep in mind his barbaric solution to homelessness across the country. His actions as our liege will surely cause an increase in crips, and I quite frankly have already dealt with too many in my long life on this planet. Schrodinger, on the other hand, stands on a strong platform of defunding the USDPCA for its stark use of cryptid and monster DNA in their research. Though, I wonder if anyone will explain to her that she wouldn't even have the power to do such a thing. So far, the multiple facets of our government have not stated which side they support, but I'm sure we'll see an update on that soon. For now, let's just keep praying for a sane winner. Shortly after this article was written, we were informed the winner was Schrodinger. How? Well, we weren't quite sure, but by a stroke of luck, Schrodinger took up the throne, and her son George, yes, George, no nicknames needed, became her successor. Of course, her reign would be short-lived, and we have a small clippet of her journal to give us a little insight into how that happened. Let's see what it has in store for us, shall we? I've been getting sicker lately. I have won, but at what cost? It seems my prize for becoming ruler of this country is my own son and husband turning against me. George just turned 18 and is thriving in his newfound title of heir, going out to parties and bringing home whomever he can to show off our new house. I worry he is becoming too full of himself, parading around like a peacock while mocking my ideals. I realize I cannot change the USDPCA ways, but I've at least made waves in the meat trade with more humane conditions for the animals that find themselves on our plates. I think my son is poisoning me. Or it could be my husband hoping to puppet him once he sits atop the throne. I understand he's excited to be ruler himself one day, but I am afraid he is trying to push his luck. I wish he'd consider the consequences of my death so early into my reign. I wonder if he's aware of the rules of an heir when they ascend. I hope he is prepared for everything to crash down on his head when I'm gone. It seems whoever is preparing my demise has upped the amount of arsenic in my meals, so it won't be long now. I give myself a month longer, and in that month I will do the best I can to set this country on the right path. I don't know what they were doing when they designed our government, but I hope I can do something before I'm gone. May the gods lead George on a righteous path. 
and may this entry provide the world with insight on how life is priceless. I hope that made it clear how Schrodinger passed at the hands of her own family. Luckily for us, George never read the rules for an heir upon his mother's death, and proceeded to fail the first rule. Henry failed to have children before the age of 38, and has since been deemed unfit to rule. You see, while many of us deem children something we either want or do not, it is much different for those in ruling positions, especially here in the United States. To not have children by the age of 38 simply implies you wish to end your rule, as you have no one to continue your bloodline. This is one of our very small loopholes that I am more than excited we are able to enact, as George has been a true detriment to our country. He allowed the import of giant roses, despite the USDPCA sanctions, and not to mention, while Trolley never got around to creating crypt nests, George had a nasty stint of doing so with his hunting parties, going after birds and cabbage rats. Luckily, the USDPCA took care of it as fast as they were able, but he's truly a detestable man. Anyway, let's hop on over to commercial and then the news. Thank you everyone for joining us today on Station 13. Today we are highlighting Lyric Dimmig of Lapcat Creations and Rain of Paracosm Entertainment. Lyric provided Station 13 with its wonderful podcast cover art, the opening tune, and their voice as Garth Strongwater. If you like their work or would like to view other pieces they have for sale, including some very cute knit items, check out their website, lapcatcreations.square.site. That's L-A-P hyphen C-A-T hyphen C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S dot square dot site. Rain lends their voice to our wonderful weathercaster, Misk, and you can find their voice elsewhere on their podcast, Onward and Onward, and Paracosm Entertainment on Twitch and YouTube. Would you like your horror story to be featured on Station 13? Or maybe your own favorite local cryptid? And what about your newest music? Maybe you even wish to support what we endeavor to do here and help our staff feed their fluffy co-hosts. Well, head over to thestation13.com. That's T-H-E-S-T-A-T-I-O-N 13.com. For the link to our Patreon and submission information. We'll see you there! Hello everyone, Garth Strongwater here yet again with the news. Last show I told you I'd do my best to make our sovereign candidates' names more palatable, but it seems the best I could come up with is <coughs> Meow and <coughs> Blip. So I've decided for the purposes of reporting that we shall refer to them as Hot Pants and Toupee. I know these names may seem silly, but if you've seen them, you'd understand. Our prior sovereign, George Theodore, currently supports neither of them in this upcoming election, probably due to his inability to have children and continue his reign. To be honest, I'm not necessarily upset over this election. Not that either candidate seems fit for this country, but neither is the current sovereign, so I'll take whatever I can get. Currently, Toupe is sitting in the lead by a small margin after his promise of funding private schools with government money and allowing the capture, trade, and domestication of wildlife without regulation. While that is interesting in itself, I do hope the public realizes that the USDPCA wouldn't allow unregulated capture and trade of wildlife. In other news, today happens to be National Kindness Day, so why not look into how you can make an impact on those around you? Not to mention, it's also National Symphonic Metal Day, so feel free to jam out while you do so. For now, that's all I have. Back to you, Void. Thank you, Garth. 
though, you forgot to warn everyone about Turkey Day this upcoming Thursday. I know if you're listening to this from outside our universe, you're probably questioning what I mean, because you've celebrated or abstained from celebrating what you assume is Turkey Day. But quite frankly, that tradition we abolished ages ago. Instead, on the last Thursday of November, we have Turkey Day. And it's not a nickname for anything. Simply a day in which a giant turkey appears to absolutely fuck shit up. Usually, the USDPCA takes care of it within the early hours of the morning, but occasionally they're understaffed, and more than a few places get destroyed. So remember to stock your basement fridge and bunker down Wednesday night. And make sure to wait for the all-clear before you come back up. Speaking of the United States Department of Paranormal Encrypted Activity dropping the ball, why don't we look into those reports we managed to dig up regarding more breaches of their facilities? I hate to say, there are more than a few. The first breach we will be reading about comes from the account of a 20-year-old man in 1890. Keep in mind, most of these accounts are journal entries that were dug up in some way or another, and I only have two of them here for you today. And I don't tend to ask how my sources find their discoveries, because sometimes it's better not to know. Anyway, let's hop to it. This morning, the sirens began going off at the crack of dawn. It is now almost dusk, and they have yet to cease their inane whiting. I'm glad I stocked up on groceries this past weekend, or I'd be stuck in this house with nothing but books and a liter of orange juice. I should probably be more concerned over the constant screeching outside my home, but my college did tell us the USDPCA would be possibly holding a test soon. However, this feels more than a test. I've foregone boarding up my windows for now, but I worry I may come to regret that. The sky has turned an ominous shade of red, and I find myself avoiding the windows in my apartment. Now, unfortunately, this young man would be correct. As we will come to learn, he wasn't dealing with an annoying test of the alarm system. Let's see what he goes on to write next. I regret not heeding more to the shrills of those aggravating sirens. What I witnessed in the few hours since I last sat down to spill my thoughts onto paper will scar me for the remainder of my years. After I had set down my pen earlier, I went around and about my afternoon. Nothing seemed too off until I went about starting supper. Despite avoiding most of the windows for a majority of my day, I was faced with a conundrum. While cooking, there is little way to avoid the three windows scattered throughout my kitchen. However, I did my best, until I went to wash up the few dishes I had used to mix ingredients, and was met with the window over the sink looking out over the city below. While scrubbing its an insistent grime, I felt my gaze pulled to the window, and what stared back at me was something straight out of... a novel. Sharp eyes met mine, and a claw was slammed to the grating over my window. This creature had me fully paralyzed in its presence, and I was made acutely aware of the human arm dangling from its mouth. I cannot proclaim to know how long it kept me enthralled in its gaze, but after a while it seemed to realize I was too difficult to get to, and allowed itself to fall back to the street below. After complaining for ages about being on the sixth floor, I am finally grateful there was distance between me and the street below, because as the beast departed and my vision cleared, I was met with an even more revolting sight. The street below 
was scattered with glass and body parts lining the sidewalk, creating pools of blood. The grocery store across the street is still on fire as I write this. I keep peeking out the window to see more and more devastation. There are creatures I have only heard about in college classes. I don't know how long I will be safe, but I pray to the gods above that my family is okay a town over. May the gods have mercy on us. Compared to my mother's account of a breach a handful of decades later, this poor young man didn't even have access to a phone or television to give him updates on the devastation. From what my sources discovered, he was also mind-wiped after the incident, and went on to become a high school teacher before hanging himself a few years later, when whatever concoction they gave him finally wore off. Apparently, like my mother, this man had siblings, and more than one were erased from his family tree. Our next account of the breach was actually found with the Wayback Machine on Reddit. Luckily for us, the USDPCA underestimated the power of the internet. It comes from a dead account, so I have no idea the age or gender of the poster, but I'm guessing high school or college. Let's see what the hell they went through. Hey Reddit, what the hell is happening? Last night I went to bed and everything seemed normal. My home was calm and everyone else had already passed out for the night. Like most, I passed out to the usual George Lopez droning from my TV after a long day, only to be woken up by my TV blaring the emergency alert sound. My parents were frantic and I was almost shoved into the basement, with the battery-powered radio and my laptop in my hand. As it is the season for tornadoes, I wasn't really concerned at first, as they hurriedly shoved the entirety of our household down the stairs to gather around the basement television. Though, the thought of a tornado ripping through town swiftly came to an end when the news station clicked on. It was a live feed from a helicopter hovering over our town, with a frazzled news anchor reading off warnings that my brain had a hard time comprehending. Apparently, the Michigan Department of Paranormal Encrypted Activity had a breach. I tried asking my parents what that meant, but they both refused to answer me and simply told me to start pulling blankets out from the closet under the stairs. At that point, I was freaking out a little bit, and as the hours dragged on in front of the TV, we watched our town fall to ruin. I watched as my high school was demolished by something that resembled the plant from Little Shop of Horrors, but with a giant rosebud and human torso. As morning faded to afternoon, we even had garbage gerblins scratching at our basement windows looking for hiding places, only to be swiftly dispatched by a large, disfigured beast leaving blood streaks on the glass. Unfortunately, this led me to realize we were missing a member of our family. Our cat Snickers was nowhere to be seen, so I nervously made my way to the ground floor of our home. I won't lie, at this point I was about to piss my pants, as the noises we could hear below ground were amplified the closer I got to the door. Opening it, I was greeted with a very terrified cat who scrambled his way downstairs and... something staring in our living room window. I don't know for sure what it was as I closed the door as soon as the cat had joined me, but it looked like a forest daddy. One of those old legends our parents would tell us to keep us out of the woods. I never believed they actually existed, but now while I sit here in wet pajama pants, I think I do. What the hell is going on here and why does it seem like they're doing so little to stop it other than filming the casualties? 
It's been about 30 minutes now since I went to get the cat, and we're starting to hear screaming at the basement door. The helicopter that was filming the whole thing was grabbed out of the sky about 10 minutes ago, and it's been radio silence ever since. Has this happened to anyone else before, or am I just in a nightmare? I really need answers, as we don't actually have much to eat down here, and I have no idea how long it will last. Mom just heard a transformer blow, and we'll probably be out of power soon. My laptop's at 80%, but who knows how long the internet will remain online. Can anyone give me any idea of what we're dealing with here? Unfortunately for whoever this was, it seems no one ever replied to this post, as it was removed rather swiftly from the site after only about an hour. Judging by the state, I'm assuming this happened in Hemingway, Michigan, a ghost town that has very little story about how it became such. By the time this was posted, it seems the USDPCA perfected their memory wipe, as this was the only story to come out that we could dig up. Seems not many thought I had to grab their laptops or phones as the sirens blared. Though I'm sure at least one person sat on their porch with a beer. That's our usual tornado protocol in the Midwest. I'm guilty of it myself. Anywho, I got an email from Avery to share with you today. Yes, Avery, the lovely overzealous wife of Shelley, our favorite WDPCA agent. Let's see what she has to say, shall we? Void, it's me, Avery. I'm sorry to use Shelly's email to trick you, but I can't remember my login. I promise I'm not trying to be weird or anything, but I have some exciting news. Shelly would probably be writing to you now if she wasn't tied to the bed with a god's awful cold. I guess that's what happens when you spend four hours outside in almost blistering temps without a puffer jacket. You know how stubborn she can be when it comes to cold weather gear, you know? Anyway, we got photos. We got photos of the giant cat that's been stalking Yukovec. And boy, is it pretty. We also managed to catalog some tracks, and upon measuring, it seems its big stompers are about a foot and a half wide. With that and the photos we estimate, this big cat is about 5.5 to 6 feet at the shoulders, and its fangs are about a foot long. We still don't know what it eats, but now we have definitive proof it exists. I'm so happy, Void. I'll try and mail you a copy of the photo when we can make copies. This is so exciting. We're going to make waves with this update. Ah, oh, Void, I'm so happy. I have no idea how to express it to you in writing. Oh, and Shelly finally gave in and we're getting a dog. We've settled on a Malamute who needs a home, and we'll be picking her up once Shelly is feeling better. Her name is Skull, and she's as fluffy as a bear. Anywho, I better head home back to Shelly and make sure she takes her Mucinex. Ta-ta! As excitable as ever. Though I can understand why when they have finally found their whole reason for being out there. Though I do hope Shelly feels better soon. She's never been the easiest to handle when sick. But Avery knows what she's doing. Now, I have some unfortunate news for you folks. Due to travel and the end of the year exhaustion, we have no weather to share with you today. But that's alright, everyone deserves a little break now that the year is almost at its end. So instead, let's hop right back where we left off last week, with my personal cryptid catalog. This week, we have the big money monster. Let's get right to it. Alright, let's rewind to Murfreesboro from our last show, and the infamous big muddy monster, spotted only three years after the cryptid that terrorized Farmer City from the last show. Ironic, no? 
While we all may be in the right to assume it was the same big hairy beast from Farmer City, it does have its own distinction. The big money monster is described as being a large imposing figure covered in hair, caked in mud. Maybe this poor beast just wanted a new hairdo. As I mentioned, the first officially re recognized sighting of this beast was documented in 1973, when it managed to strike fear into the hearts of two teenage lovebirds that were parked riverside for a makeout session. And, with its presence known, it began its two-week escapade, terrifying the townsfolk. To hop back to the initial sighting, it's claimed that while the two lovebirds were sitting in their car debating when they should return home, they heard an ear-piercing roar, only a short distance away. Fear now seeping into their hearts, they quickly turned off the radio and began to scan the area. Noticing the brush moving in front of the car, the driver decided to turn on his headlights, only to come face to front bumper with a creature straight out of a comic book. They both claimed the scent emanating from the beast was pungent, and as it lumbered toward their vehicle, they left as swiftly as they were capable. Later, at the police station, they reported the creature as being almost eight feet tall, with matted mud-streaked white hair and the overall appearance of an upright gorilla. While normally the police would not give the couple's story too much credibility, it is said that it was more believable solely for the trouble the two teens would get in had the young woman's father found out about her chosen partner. So, of course, two officers were sent to investigate this site by the Big Muddy River, and, as the story goes, there was no monster to be found. However, instead, they were met by peculiar tracks, approximately 10 to 12 inches long and 3 inches wide, left by the creature. As one of the officers bent down to investigate these tracks, both were startled by a horrifying shrill, causing both to run off in the panic. Jimmy Nash, the officer that bent to check the tracks, claimed that the noise was in no way a bobcat or a screech owl. A mere two hours later, Jimmy Nash and his partner, Merrill Lindsay, brought two more officers with them to continue the investigation. With this, they were greeted with another set of tracks. So, while Lindsay ran back to the patrol car to get a camera, they began their pursuit. Of course, moments later, another scream rang out, leading fear to usurp curiosity and the trio to retreat to the patrol car. After calming their hearts for a moment, huddled in the car like scared animals, they seemed to regain their courage, and tried once more to follow the tracks and a peculiar splashing noise they could hear in the water. However, this was unfortunately all for naught. Of course, that is not where the story ends, as only a day later, the monster would be spotted again. At around 10.30 in the afternoon the following night, a five-year-old named Christian Barrel was playing in his backyard, located relatively near the Big Muddy River. Attempting to catch fireflies and frolicking about the lawn, when he spotted a colossal, white shape looming behind the family's fence. This led the poor boy to drop his jar and race inside, crying out about a ghost in the backyard. Skeptical, the father paid the boy little mind until the story was later confirmed by the neighbor. This story shares similarity to an event that occurred a few months prior as well, where a young boy was attacked in his backyard by a bizarre, slimy, three-legged figure known as the Enfield Horror. The boy's neighbors heard a rustling in their bushes a few moments later, assuming it was the young boy himself as they flipped on the porch lights and were stopped in their tracks by the same creature that had just sent the boy crying to his parents. This would not be the first time they encountered something so terrifying. 
They claim to have seen a giant creature about eight feet tall and built like a New York football player in the woods the same night while searching for the one they had seen. Sketching the creature revealed it had a spade-like head and human-like body, akin to the Flatwoods monster, and draped in shaggy, muddy hair. A further description goes on to say, It was real tall, hairy. I think it was white, but it was dirty, matted. It had a real bad odor. It was really rank. I never smelled anything like it. It seemed like an eternity we stood there, and then it just turned around and walked off into the woods. We could hear it tramping through. With said witnesses going on to say it had glowing red eyes leading to the possibility of albinism, though neither could agree if the eyes were just pink or actually glowing. The cops that would go to investigate stated they encountered a rancid odor that seemed to dissipate quickly after their arrival, and a cluster of footprints where the creature was stated to be standing. With this discovery, a tracking dog was brought in. For those curious, it was a loyal German shepherd named Reb to track down the beast. With the discovery of a black slime substance outside the witness's back door, the trusty Reb was off, tracking Yoder through recently disturbed brush to an old quarry where they were met with a dead end. The officers escorting the dog searched the area with flashlights, but came up empty-handed, only for the dog to take off again after a fresh scent trail. Reb led them to a farm only a few miles from the original home, and instead of excitement upon finding the end of the trail, it is said the dog's mood swiftly changed to whimpering and panic. When they tried to force the poor boy into the dilapidated barn, he fell to his stomach and quickly backed up. This was extremely out of the ordinary and led to backup being called, though unfortunately by the time they got there, whatever had taken shelter in the barn had managed to make its way out of the back, and the search was officially called off. This concerned the police, but they were even more concerned the residents of town would shoot at each other on accident with the amount of posses springing up out of fear. After the called-off search, the town would be quiet for only ten days before the next sighting was reported by a traveling carnival, who made the mistake of setting up in a glade by the river. The troop had wrapped up for the night and were enjoying time by the fire when the Shetland ponies began to make a ruckus. When the men went to investigate, they were met with what they described as an eight-foot-tall, 400-pound, hairy monster, observing the little horses. When they ran off to alert authorities, the monsters seemed to run in the opposite direction. And when one brave soul went to check again, it was just sitting there, feet from the ponies, with a head cocked in deep curiosity. However, again, the monster evaded capture when help arrived at the carnival. This sighting led to hundreds of people going out armed to the teeth trying to capture this creature, which prompted the police chief to call in professional help. Of course, to make a long paragraph short, even the professionals came up short, other than a few screams heard here and there throughout the woods. This would be the last confirmed sighting of 1973, and for a long while the town was calm, until around 1975, when a duo of men claimed to see the beast once more. Luckily, this time it didn't plan to start another reign of terror. With this many sightings, you really have to ask yourself, is Bigfoot really just a tall tale we tell ourselves to explain the unexplainable? Or are they just the true kings of hide-and-seek? That was a long one, 
and many have agreed that this may be the same beast as the Farmer City monster. While that could very well be true, I guess for now we'll never really know. Alright, now that my cryptid catalog has been added to, let's head over to our lovely Autumn for today's cryptid watch. We're back again. It's time for Cryptid Watch with me, Autumn. I've managed to avoid the leaf blowers of the local park for now, but it may be time to relocate as where I reside now is experiencing an Owlman takeover. This is unprecedented as they aren't even from this region, but it's making me acutely aware that the species is making a strong comeback. The other day I even watched one completely avoid a family enjoying nature in favour of a deer. However, I do warn you to watch where you trek in the woods come spring, as nesting season will be upon us. We do not want a repeat of what happened years ago with the near extinction of the species. We all love to forget that some species are vital to this fragile ecosystem that we inhabit, just like when the British government decided to revive the direwolf. Yeah, it was a cool idea at first, but I don't think anyone expected them to almost completely wipe out the rabbit population that they had curbed years prior. For once, the government actually wants them to get jiggy with it, so the direwolves don't set their sights on the humans that brought them back. Anywho, I am disappointed to share that no one seemed to take my forest daddy warning to heart, as the reported deaths this year are in the hundreds already. Please, for the love of God, stop camping for four months. That is all we ask. Anyway, back to you, Void. I'm all riled up and speaking your language is getting difficult. Thank you so much, Autumn. And I hate to admit it, I'm not shocked by the death toll. We aren't giving you warnings to seem like nagging parents. But please, people, keep in mind that nature will consume you if given the chance, and you need to stop giving them the chance. Forest daddies may seem like a fairy tale, but they are incredibly real and incredibly deadly. Speaking of forest daddies, I figured now is the time to read to you some of the old wives' tales regarding them, that you probably assumed were fables. Let me assure you, they are not. Why don't we relive some fables from our childhoods? In the deepest parts of the forest sleeps a beast. A being who strikes fear into those who do not tread carefully. Do not trek into the deep dark woods in search of Snow White. Do not explore abandoned towers for Sleeping Beauty. For what awaits you there is no damsel in distress. Instead, a beast lies in wait for their next meal, fangs dripping with venom and ichor. These beings have no standard shape nor form, nor do they follow the laws of nature in stature or behavior. For they are violent creatures with minds bent with hunger and brains, rotted beyond comprehension. They do not discriminate in what they will consume, and you're better off if their next meal isn't you. I do not tell these stories to frighten only to warn, as you're better off safe in bed where it's warm. Oh, little children and teens alike, listen to your parents filled with fright. We do not want to see your lives end too soon. That's why we keep you cooped to your room. Short and sweet, as my family put it, 
a tale short to the point without getting into too much detail. Other families, however, put their warning into poems. Let's look at a few here. Up first, we have one directly referencing a forest daddy. In the woods where moonlight softly weaves, a creature lurks deadly among the leaves. Seven feet tall, a shadow in the night, a monstrous stalks, its eyes an eerie light. Its growl a symphony of dark despair, leaves trembling trees in chilly air. Silent footsteps, crushing leaves and dreams, a deadly dance beneath the moonbeams gleam. Beware the woods where the monster roams, a towering terror claiming silent homes. And the next is simply a cautionary poem about the woods in general. In the woods where shadows dance with glee, a realm of danger whispers in each tree. Beneath the canopy of emerald green lies a cautionary tale seldom seen. Beware the silence, for it may deceive, as lurking in dangers in shadows conceive. Twisted roots may trip the unsuspecting, in the heart of the woods, danger is collecting. Through the tangled thicket, a path untamed, where the wild and the wary are often named. Nature's beauty hides perils untold. In the hearts of the woods, mysteries unfold. Stories passed down for generations, whether in poems or half-hearted rhymes, aren't always something to shake a stick at. While the tales of little Nora and the like were nothing but tales, sometimes your parents are trying to hint at the darker side of our little corner of the universe. All right, I think I have exhausted myself for today, and my throat is getting quite sore. I guess colds catch up to all of us eventually. For now, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? DJ Void, signing off. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for the final episode of 2023. I hope to see you all again in the new year. And remember to look out for Station 13 Campfire Stories, preview coming to you this December. For now, I'd like to thank everyone on our Discord server personally for following the show from concept to episode 12. To start off, I'd like to thank Lyric and implore you to check out their comics on Webtoon. Lyric is learning, and there's something in the woods. And if you like their characters, check out their Patreon linked in the show notes to support their livelihood and their ability to contribute as our handsome newscaster. Following along, I give the big thank you to Rain for their support as our weathercaster and ask you to check out their other podcast, Onward and Onward. And I can't forget Katie, who does our wonderful commercials. Please go check out her book on kgardnerbooks.com. Now, our Cryptid Watch host Autumn, aka Rookabye, doesn't have anything for me to share, but they are a huge help when it comes to other aspects of our podcast behind the scenes. Other special thanks go out to our special little guys on the Patreon. Coda, Melody Mayhem, Chowder, M the Bear, Ian Clark, Midas Touchy, Mother of Torches, and last but not least, the Woodhead Bob who shared music with us in some earlier episodes. Don't forget to check out his Spotify for more bangers. If you want to keep updated with Station 13, follow our link tree below to join our Discord or Patreon for early episode access. 
All right, good night, folks, and we'll see you all in 2024. Thank you, everyone, for joining us again on Station 13. We appreciate the returning and new listeners alike. Now, quickly before I leave you all, I would like to give a special thanks to our staff. That includes Lyric, whom you can find under Lapcat Creations on most platforms, Rain, who can be found on the podcast Onward and Onward, and Rook, who voices Autumn, who is as ambiguous as their creation. Special thanks goes out to those on our Discord and Kate Gardner for reading our commercials. You can find her work at kgardnerbooks.com. If you'd like to join our Discord or find our various other social medias, please peruse the link tree in the show notes at your leisure. If you find yourself enjoying Station 13, I do recommend you try the podcast that helped inspire it all, Dangerous Times at Chillhaven High. They are currently on hiatus, and now would be the perfect time to binge their tales of adventure. Anywho, that's all I have for you today, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll see you all next time on Station 13.